This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, thank you for holidays and uh, how these things are uh, reminding us holidays of the of a bigger and more important reality. We ask that uh, today, as we worship you, that uh, Shavuot and Pentecost won't just be holidays, but instead we ask that uh, you would truly reveal yourself to us. We ask that uh, you would transform us. And Lord, we ask that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, full and overflowing. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Most of you know, all of you know today is the is indeed the Jewish holiday of Shavuot uh, or weeks that uh, this originally uh, in the Hebrew Bible was a harvest festival, was the time of the wheat harvest. But uh, during the second temple period, during especially during those so-called 400 quiet years between Malachi and Matthew, which were not, by the way, very quiet. They were theologically uh, very creative and, and very noisy. And uh, the theology that um, develops uh, in between Malachi and Matthew is the very theology on which the New Testament, uh, some of the New Testament, is built. Uh, Jewish people come to understand or they come to conclude from their careful reading of the scripture that not only is Shavuot a wheat, festival and a pilgrimage festival, uh, but it is also a festival that uh, remembers or commemorates God's uh, giving of the Torah, God's giving of his guidance, direction, and instruction. That is the proper definition of the word Torah. And I'm glad I'm speaking to a large group of Presbyterians who um, naturally understand these things, yes? At least I hope you do. Uh, and I promised uh, my wife when she, she ran up to me just a few minutes ago in the back and said, no Presbyterian jokes. I said, okay, I promise. <laughs> I promise, no Presbyterian joke. So God gives the Torah and uh, we're celebrating Pentecost. And this really gives rise to a, a very interesting dialogue not only between Acts chapter 2 and Exodus chapter 19, uh, <clears throat> but it also, of course, gives rise to some you know, very <clears throat> serious misconceptions. And I'd like to just address one, of those two, one or two of those misconceptions, and then I'd like to speak a little bit about the passage from John's Gospel. I think misconception number one, which is very um, common uh, throughout the uh, Protestant evangelical world and uh, maybe in uh, other denominations as well uh, goes like this and I think you've all heard this uh, more than once well the Jews got the law but we got the spirit they're in legalism and bondage but we are free free in Christ and uh, there seems to be a, um, uh, in the minds of many people, some kind of opposition between God's word 
God, the commandments and the Holy Spirit. The, the, the law is somehow supposed to bring people into bondage uh, and the Spirit is supposed to set people free. Well, that kind of, that kind of dichotomy uh, is extremely dangerous. And uh, I would argue, and so would many others, that it is not biblical. It's not something that's borne out uh, in the text. You may just remember that two minutes ago, or three minutes ago, Aaron himself read from uh, John's Gospel. Jesus says, if you love me, you know, keep my commandments, yes, and I will send the Spirit. The Spirit is, of course, closely connected uh, with our obedience uh, of, uh, of the commandments. And maybe we'll say something, or, uh, obedience or, uh, or living a life that, uh, that pleases the Lord. And um, I think this is something that, again, we to be uh, very, uh, very careful of. The Holy Spirit is not a spirit of lawlessness uh, and it does not permit us to sin. I think certainly some people confuse about uh, the Torah or the, or the meaning of the Torah. And perhaps I can just say this, that there are certain things in the Torah that were only given to the Jewish people. And they were given to the Jewish people in order to keep the Jewish people separate, in order to keep them different from the nations. This is a, another word perhaps for holiness. And those things might include um, kosher laws, uh, the prohibition on pork was given only to the Jewish people. Now, if you don't want to eat a bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, that's fine. But it's not something that is incumbent upon the Gentiles. Shabbat, I wouldn't say totally, but for, to, to a large extent, is not something given to the Gentiles. Although there is an aspect of Shabbat that's a part of the creation and that we as Christians should probably take that very seriously. Circumcision is something else. When Paul is, is uh, the apostle, is appalled at what's happening in the church in, uh, at Galatia, he's appalled because uh, basically he understands as a Jew that circumcision is something, as a sign that God gave the Jewish people and was to stay within the Jewish people. So a lot of times when we talk about the law or we talk about commandments, we, uh, we get very, very fuzzy. And it gets a little worrisome uh, to me because we have to be careful and define our terms. For those who are um, convinced that we're totally under grace, let me just remind you that in the New Testament, uh, and I had a friend who counted he told me he counted 1,017 commandments from Matthew to Revelation. 1,017 <clears throat> things which we're being commanded to do. Now in the first five books of Moses, there are only 613. Okay, so um, we can argue why we should keep them, how we should keep them, but we need to acknowledge first and foremost that uh, that uh, commandments are very important. I think the, the um, other thing that um, we need to point out here is that of course there's, a, there's, there's some, something uh, very important uh, in 
both of these holidays. And this is in a very big, mega, big, uh, mega uh, biblical way, where it's something that's part of the big story. And I think that's something that perhaps we, we uh, oftentimes forget. But uh, Shavuot and the giving of the law and the giving of the Spirit, okay, are a part of something much bigger. Uh, we oftentimes, as Christians, always are talking about going up. Some of my friends talk about the rapture. Others are talking about going to heaven. Others are talking about ascending into the heavenlies, perhaps in some kind of a mystical way. Or, uh, but you know the passion that God has from Adam to Revelation, is it not God wants to come down? God wants to come down and to dwell with his people. It says he, he walks with Adam in the garden. He gives the commandments on Sinai. Now, what is the purpose of those commandments? The purpose of those commandments, there are many reasons. I mean, one of the reasons is that God says that these commandments, he says to Israel, they're good for you. They're going to lead to human flourishing and blessing if you obey these. But also, Sinai uh, prepares the people of Israel, okay, for something much bigger. Over the years, it's become one of my favorite verses, and a verse that uh, astounds me every time I read it. But in Exodus 29, um, when God says to uh, Moses, he says, I will, and to Aaron, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, uh, I'm sorry, and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know I am the Lord your God, their God who brought them out of Egypt so I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. What is the purpose of the Exodus? What is the purpose of all these rules and regulations? When we read them, we think our mind boggles. In fact, we don't want to read them. We want to just simply say in a dismissive way, oh, Jesus has fulfilled all that. Let me move over to the Gospels, or let me move over to reading uh, one of Paul's epistles. The purpose of giving the tabernacle and the altar and establishing the priesthood is so that God could dwell amongst his people, so that God could be present with them. That's, been, that's God's goal, that's God's purpose all along. And of course, that's God's ultimate purpose in sending Jesus the Messiah not only to save us from our sins so that we go up, yes, so we go to heaven, but so that he can come down. And, uh, and of course, the new Jerusalem, we always think about going up, but the new Jerusalem comes down, and it comes down to a new heavens and a new earth. And of course, no temple is needed in the new Jerusalem, because God will be present with his people. God and the Lamb, and that will be sufficient. And that's the goal of history. That's God's goal and God's purpose from the beginning. Of course, sin got in the way. Uh, sin which brings death. And so as a way of dealing, God takes upon himself to, to clean, the, clean up the mess that we made. And uh, he starts with the people of Israel, with the temple, with the tabernacle and the temple. That tabernacle and the, and the priesthood must be pure. There must be holiness for God to dwell amongst his people. 
And that is in part the purpose of the Torah. That is in part the purpose of why God gives his guidance and direction uh, and instruction. I think the other thing that we need to keep in mind, and it becomes a, a misconception, I have a, uh, and this is brought out a few weeks ago, when I talked to a lady, and a woman asked me uh, over lunch, she said, do Jewish people believe in the Holy Spirit? I said, well, of course they believe in the Holy Spirit. The concept, uh, our concept of the Holy Spirit is largely comes to us from Almost all of it comes to us from the Jewish people. Well, she said, I went to a synagogue last night or the night before, and I did not feel the Holy Spirit. So surely they don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Well, there was nothing I could do to convince this poor woman, okay, that uh, she, like the rest of us, owe the Jewish people a great debt. Because um, all that we believe, and virtually all that we do as Christians, comes to us again, uh, from uh, the Jewish people. Uh, we, uh, we are not the root, Paul says, we are nourished by, by this root. And um, I think what's important here uh, is simply the following, that the Jewish people had a, a huge, uh, a very important role or a place for the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit largely, but not exclusively in Jewish theology, was about giving, or it was for the giving of prophetic utterance, when uh, the prophets, the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, when they started to dry up, you might say, and God didn't speak any longer uh, through a, a Hosea or through a, uh, a, Malach, uh, a Malachi, the um, Jewish people concluded, well, we must be doing something wrong and God is, at least some Jewish people, God has taken the Holy Spirit from us. Uh, and the Holy Spirit will surely return when the Messiah comes. Uh, the Messiah will come and the Holy Spirit will return with the Messiah. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of it, but Acts chapter 2 isn't just an encouragement or isn't there just to instruct us. Acts chapter 2 is a messianic proof that Jesus of Nazareth is the Jewish Messiah. And it's there to speak to Jewish people as well as it is to speak, uh, to speak to Gentiles. Now there are other Jews who didn't believe that. The group at Qumran, I don't know if you've been to Qumran. Qumran <coughs> believed that the Holy Spirit was very active, okay? The new followers of Jesus also believed that the Holy Spirit not been taken up or removed, but that the Holy Spirit remained uh, very active in their communities. But here's, I think, one thing that we should acknowledge, and that when we have our fights amongst ourselves or our theological disagreements, uh, there are many different Jewish views of the Spirit. And many of those views of the Spirit are actually found in the New Testament itself. Just by the way, there are many different Jewish views of the Messiah. And those views of the Messiah are also found in the New Testament. It's not enough to say the New Testament is Jewish. You have to, we have to say that the New Testament contains many Jewish points of view. For example, in Matthew, Jesus is a sage. He's, a, he's the Messiah, but he's a teacher. Uh, but in Hebrews, 
Jesus isn't a teacher, he's a priest. And in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the one who, who comes uh, for vindication. Uh, he comes uh, as a conqueror. Okay, he comes to defeat, uh, to bring final defeat to death and to Satan. Now, all of those views are Jewish views. And uh, if we didn't have Matthew, or we didn't have Hebrews, or we didn't have Luke, we would be impoverished and we would be missing something. And so it's true in the New Testament about the Holy Spirit. And sometimes this is what causes us to have arguments within our community. We don't recognize that what happens in the book of Acts, where the Spirit is sudden, and the Spirit comes and brings prophetic utterance, and the Spirit surprises, and the Spirit empowers, and the Spirit is noisy. Yes? It's kind of cool, yeah. It's much different than what we read about in John. It's a different pneumatology. It's a different view of the Holy Spirit. Both are good, and we have to learn to live with the paradox. If we don't live with paradox, okay, within the text and within the understanding of the early Christian community, we ourselves will end up repeating what's happened for almost 1,500 years or 1,800 years, where we slam on the Bible and said, it's gotta be this way. It only has to be this way. We need to be very careful of that. So what is the spirit? What is the view of the spirit that we find in John's gospel? This is what I'd like to speak about for a few minutes. And uh, the view of the spirit is, um, of course, Jesus is going away. So this is where we begin to get uh, the teaching in uh, 14 and 15, uh, and the going away, Jesus' uh, farewell address this is where he begins to talk uh, about, um, about the Holy Spirit. And of course, just like to look at um, just a minute from uh, verse 8. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And of course, Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been with you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Uh, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? So here Jesus is talking about what we call, uh, what some, I think, Greek Orthodox theologians or uh, lay people have called over the centuries the divine life. What is this, what does God's life look like? God's life uh, is there's a mutual indwelling, right? Jesus indwells the Father, the Father indwells Jesus. They share this, they, they share this mutuality, this uh, reciprocation. This is what they, uh, of course, they share together. And that, and anticipating Trinity Sunday, which is next week, that relationship is based on love. That relationship is based on uh, mutual service, one serving the other, one glorifying the other. That relationship is not based on, it, on force or domination or abuse. This is what uh, the divine life, uh, divine life looks like. And Jesus uh, you know, continues 
The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me. It's another important reason I would hope that we would take the words of Jesus seriously. Jesus is saying the authority that I've been given in this passage, this is actually coming from the Father. My words are actually his words. My commandments are his commandments. My teaching is his teaching. And a little bit earlier in John chapter five, perhaps in the, the greatest, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the best uh, uh, reference or, or pointing to the imitation of God in the entire New Testament, Jesus says, I do nothing. And John 5, 17, I do nothing unless I see the Father do it. I do what the Father does. The works that I'm doing, the miracles that I'm doing, this, is, this, comes from, uh, this comes from the Father. And so sometimes we might forget this as Christians, okay? The authority that Jesus has and where his teaching comes from. And that's why sometimes here at Christ Church, we, I don't mean to uh, emphasize the Gospels or put the Gospels uh, higher than, for example, the Epistles or the book of Revelation. But I think oftentimes within our community, is it not true that we're very fuzzy about what, what Jesus teaches? I think most of us have a good understanding of who he is, but what is he teaching? What is he asking us to do? What's the basis of our discipleship? And is it not true that also in John's gospel, if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, chapter 12, that Jesus says, you, we, will be judged by my words, that we will give an account of ourselves according to what Jesus has taught, okay? Or Jesus also says in this gospel, my words are spirit and life. Do we not all want life? Do we not all want to enter into that divine life? Well, entry into that divine life is, in a way, in some ways, dependent, okay, upon uh, or are, it's the maintenance of that divine life, that's not to say dependent, is upon, being, upon us being obedient and keeping his commandments. Okay. Jewish people, let me just tell you the difference, in the time of Jesus would acknowledge that some very, some very pious, some very holy men might get the, even women, might get the Holy Spirit on occasion. What the New Testament teaches is something, is something completely different, that everyone can have access to the Spirit, that it's God's gift to everyone. But maintaining that relationship with Jesus and the Father through the Spirit, the maintenance is gonna cost us something. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but if you wanna maintain a good, intimate relationship, it, it's costly. And that cost, what we have to pay, is holiness or obedience or discipleship, whatever you would like. Now I'd like to continue for a little bit, and then we'll end with a few words from Acts chapter 2. Okay, so, um, so the Father is living in me who's doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of the miracles themselves. So he's Jesus <coughs> saying, <coughs> to, uh, to Philip, look, if you can't, 
uh, believe what I'm saying, just believe the evidence of my life and the miracles. And then he goes on to say, believe me when I say that, no, I've said that. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me uh, will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask uh, in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So let me just spend a few seconds uh, on this. Um, what's the purpose of asking in the name of Jesus? To bring glory to the Father. This is not a formula, okay? This is not a formula. It is instead um, points to a close relationship and intimacy between us and Jesus. And to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray for his sake, right? Which will bring glory to the Father and to pray according to the way that he taught us. So when we say, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I need 12 pink Cadillacs, that's magic. That's magic. And that's actually what has gotten, which has brought some disrepute to the charismatic movement and to Pentecostalism. Okay? Because people throw it around this in the name of Jesus like it's a formula. And if I don't say this at the end of the prayer, uh-oh, I get a bad feeling. It's like a superstition. I didn't pray in the name of Jesus, so he's not going to answer me. Okay. It's not a magic formula. It's praying for his sake and praying according to the way he taught us in order to bring glory to the Father. Okay. You know, so we just have to be we have to be very careful. But again, it comes out of a, hopefully it comes out of a desire that we have to see, the, uh, to see the Father glorified. Now, just a few more words. Um, and here we come to um, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. We will respond in gratitude, okay, to the way, uh, to what Jesus has done for us. Yes? Our response, uh, just like Israel's response at Sinai, was to say yes to God uh, out out of uh, gratitude. How God has delivered them, that the manna gave them water. uh, They were on the road to freedom, and they were grateful for what what God did for them. And so out of that gratitude, which is the best, best way, yes, the best reason to keep his commandments, they obeyed. And by the way, if we can't uh, obey because of gratitude, then we should uh, obey out of fear. It's not the best, but uh, we should obey out of the, the, the fear of sin and the consequences that sin brings. Um, here we, and then Jesus says, and and there's a conjunction and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor Um, I will ask the father and he will give you um, a helper an advocate 
uh, an intercessor, uh, intercessor. Uh, of course, Jesus is already acting uh, as such, um, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. And then, going to 25, and this I have spoken with you, okay? But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remain, uh, remind you of everything I have said to you. So, what does the Holy Spirit do here? The Holy Spirit, <clears throat> basically, in this gospel, okay, a little bit different than the book of Acts. Not better, just different. The Holy Spirit here, okay, brings the presence of Jesus into our life. It brings us into the presence of the Father. It really creates a community and allows us to enter into that, again, enter into that divine life. And the Spirit, we know that, that what the Spirit looks like, or we know what the Spirit is leading us. We know how the Spirit is teaching us because it's in, the Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. It does what Jesus does. It does what the Father does. And there are many people today who claim the Spirit is telling them this and the Spirit is telling them that. And this quite, can be quite wild and even contrary to Scripture. Or even if not contrary to Scripture, it might in some cases be foolishness. And uh, we need to be careful. And we need to <clears throat> also need to be, to be wary when people are speaking in the name of the Spirit. And we see this a lot here in Jerusalem where people come, the Lord says, the Spirit says, and so on and so forth. Now, it is very true that God's Spirit guides and empowers and leads and directs people. But the way it's often used and the way people flippantly throw the name of the Lord around, it's a break, it's a violation of the third commandment. Yes, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. It's so cheap. The Lord told me to wear yellow socks today. The Lord told me I should, uh, recently a lady showed up. The Lord said, uh, you are to let me into your guest house. Okay, and by the way, I, I cannot um, uh, get up and go to the toilet in the middle of the night and the Lord's told me that uh, you're to come over and to take me to the toilet. You know, the Lord, this is the Holy Spirit has directed me here. And we hear things like this, and it's, it's very unfortunate, and what it does, it cheapens when actually God does lead people. And God leads people here, even to this place. Or when God directs people to go uh, uh, somewhere on, on mission, or God directs someone to go across the street and, and help, uh, uh, help a, uh, someone in need, whatever it may be, it breaks it, uh, it makes it very, very cheap. But the Spirit, yes, the Spirit is going to look like, smell like, taste like Jesus. This we shouldn't, and again, this hopefully reinforces the point that there is no difference between the Word, uh, Jesus, the Word, the living Word, and the Spirit itself. Also, the Spirit is here to create community. It's to remind us of wh what Jesus taught us, 
to reinforce what Jesus teaches us, to keep us out of bad teaching, to keep us out of heresy, uh, hopefully to keep us out of sin. And that becomes the basis of our community, is it not? The basis of the community is Jesus himself, okay? That's also what happens in, <clears throat> excuse me, in Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two with all its noise, with all its fire, with all its drama and sensation, the result is not only that our people are speaking prophetically the gospel, again, a nice Jewish view of the Spirit, but it's also that people, that the Spirit has now created a new community. And this community first includes, first is only Jewish, and soon, within eight chapters of the book of Acts, will include Gentiles. And again, you may remember we started by saying, God is always looking for a people. God always wants to come down. God not only, not only wants to dwell with his people, but now, according to John 14, he wants to dwell within us. He wants, and how does he dwell within us? The Father dwells within the Son. The Son dwells within us, or lives in us, and we live in him via what? Via the Holy Spirit. Now, my dear friends, in the recent years, and we wanna, I want to conclude with this, we have had the blessing of charismatic and Pentecostal movement. Now, I don't care what you think of the charismatic and Pentecostal movement, it has indeed brought uh, life to millions of people. Okay? Millions of people have had their lives changed and transformed. And every part of Christianity, every uh, branch, every movement, every denomination uh, has felt the effects okay, of the charismatic Pentecostal movement. It has brought the Holy Spirit from the shadows or the shy member of the Trinity, as some people refer to him, uh, front and center, okay, in the life of the Christian community. That's been marvelous, has it not? Yeah, at the same time, with the charismatic and Pentecostal movement came a lot, yes, of abuse and bad teaching and bad practice. And today, many of us have come to the place where we live in a post-charismatic world, unfortunately, or post-Pentecostal world, where we're a bit jaded and a bit guarded and the, the relationship that we have with Jesus through the Holy Spirit or the place of the Spirit has been <coughs> diminished or somehow put away uh, totally. And this is kind of a sad, uh, I think this is very sad. On the other hand, many people who are Pentecostals who seem to go from uh, bad to worse in their teaching uh, and in the, uh, the, their practices of, uh, I hope I, I'm, I'm sure I'll offend somebody, but um, gold dust and having your teeth filled with gold and angels' feathers, even though angels in the Bible don't have wings. So um, many of these things are, are indeed sad and they uh, actually bring a desecration, God's name, and confusion to the community. But at, this, in the, at the end of all this, yes, we need both 
we need to have both understandings of the Spirit, and certainly we want the Holy Spirit to fill our lives and fill the community. We want to have that intimate, intimate relationship with Jesus that only comes through the Spirit, that in relationship that might be subtle and quiet, okay, uh, and intimate, as I said. And at the same time, we need to be empowered to speak prophetically in the society in which we live. We live in a society full of sin and full of heresy. <clears throat> and many people now lack the courage to live or to speak the gospel. We need to be emboldened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. We can't put the Holy Spirit away or we can't turn our backs on the Holy Spirit. We need to remember what Paul says in uh, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled, be continually filled with the Spirit. It's not something that happens to us once, whatever your theology is of the Holy Spirit. Something that uh, we need to, uh, to, to make, make, make it our aim. We also, in the same chapter, he says, don't offend chapter four, isn't it? He says, don't offend the, no, uh, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Gerald McDermott, who spoke on Jonathan Edwards on Friday, remembered, reminded us, we're not talking about the force from Star Wars. We're talking about a person. And actually, he said, Jonathan Edwards said that when we talk about grace, we're not talking about a thing, but we're talking about a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. Right? This is what we've been saying in recent weeks that when we've been talking about the resurrection, we're not talking about a doctrine. When we talk about the resurrection, we're talking about Jesus. So Jonathan Edwards said when we talk about grace, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. So my dear friends, <clears throat> I, would in, I would hope that we would long for revival. We long to be renewed by the Spirit. We would fast and pray for that renewal <clears throat> of the church so that we can be strengthened as a community, that we can be bold and we can be encouraged, we can uh, be empowered. The goal of this community that shares the divine life is not to be a happy Christian commune, okay, and to keep this, these things to ourselves. The goal is always to be sent out. And even in John's quiet, intimate view of the Spirit, yes, the disciples can't go out in chapter 20, until they've been given the Spirit. We're all called to go. We're all called to be witnesses, okay? And we need that, we need the power of the Spirit to give us that courage and to give us that boldness. Let us pray for it. Let us hunger for it. Let us long for it. Let us live it. Let us live to be filled with the Spirit. And let us be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit in the way that we live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we uh, need your touch and we need the, the, re, the renewal needs to be renewed. The revival needs to be revived. Lord, do not leave us to our own devices. Do not leave us to doing all these religious things. But Lord, instead fill us with your spirit. And Lord, give us each one a hunger Lord, uh, to be empowered, to be given the gift of courage, 
Give us a hunger, Lord, uh, to be renewed and to be refreshed and to ultimately enter into a deeper relationship with you that uh, we will be, uh, you will not only be in us, but we will be in you. And Father, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.